Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with Jacqueline Foster of Jacqueline Foster Paralegal Services. So I brought, you know, it was actually kind of interesting. Jacqueline's also a listener of the show, and she ended up reaching out, but I thought it was a very good time to have this conversation. So uh, we are currently recording this at the beginning of June of 2020, and we're going through, uh, you know, kind of shaking out probably the last uh, kind of months and fingers crossed, hopefully, of the uh, the whole pandemic situation. And people are either in a situation where you're, you're reevaluating the nature of uh, work versus remote work, or, you know, a lot of times people are in a situation where you might have scaled down. So I think it's really good to have uh, Jacqueline on for this time. So um, I super appreciate uh, coming on the show, Jacqueline. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here, Jan. Thank you for having me. All right. Awesome. So to get started, um, we usually like to kind of, uh, ask you the question, you know, how did you find out, uh, you know, how did you wind up in the position you are today running this, uh, paralegal services company? Sure. So for a brief background, um, of my history, I started in my paralegal major when I was about 19 years old. And during that time I was interning and working while taking classes online and I was working for public defender, Um, some general practice, small firms, and things of that nature. And from there, from that point forward, because of living in more rural areas, I always worked for small and solo practices um, in the general practice area of criminal, civil, real estate, family, all all those practice areas. And then um, while I was transitioning into my bachelor's degree, I was freelancing on the side for these same types of firms, personal acquaintances, family members, just doing some extra freelancing work on the side for them. As I continued with my education and my career, I ended up moving to an even more rural area. I was originally from Minnesota. I ended up moving to the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin and started to job shop for law offices and came across a solo practice in a small, small little, I think, 2000 population area. Um, when she hired me, I remember her telling me, you know, she's like, I, I want to be completely honest with you. I have never received an application through my firm that included any experience in the law office setting whatsoever. It was either um, people in retail or people that worked as a bank teller and things of that nature. And she said, I feel like I struggled finding you, but I'm sorry, I can only pay you X amount of dollars because that's just my budget in this area. So when I started working for her, things were going great and continued working for her and still did some freelancing as I adjusted my own career path going towards the freelance world because I still had this deep craving for bigger cases. I wanted appeals and trials and and things of that nature, even being in this remote area, that I started working with an agency that um, they didn't particularly target law firms. They just ended up with them as clients and over time um, took on some paralegal freelancers to fulfill those those contracts. And so I started working with them. And all of a sudden, I'm working for big and small firms across the nation, including a Supreme Court candidate down in Texas. And a nationwide firm out of Chicago. And 
I just had a light bulb moment over the two years um, that I was doing that for this agency that I could not stop thinking how desperately the firms I had worked for over the past seven years of my career that could have so desperately benefited from what I am doing now as a freelancer versus me as a W-2 employee. So um, through that, I started to develop my own company and started Jacqueline Foster Paralegal Services because I wanted to go away from the agency setting and really become a professional paralegal service that offers senior level freelance paralegal work to small and solo practices at an affordable rate across the nation, depending if you live in Chicago and you're competing with these regional and national firms, um, what they can offer paralegals that come through there, or you live in a place like I live where there's only 2000 people around you and you have zero access to any education or experienced applicants. So I decided to really focus my business around filling that gap for both those settings versus the setting of, I can't afford to compete with these big firms that are stealing all of the great senior level experience away. And I can also not have access to those senior level experience paralegals because they just don't exist here. Um, so that's where I started my company to fill that gap. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful turnout on it, on my clients and, and the gaps that I have been able to fill for these small law firms and solo practitioners. Yeah, well, it definitely sounds like that's, um, I mean, I wasn't kind of, it's, it's funny. So I mean, we work with people all over the country as well, like ranging from, you know, pretty big cities all the way up to, I mean, I'm trying to think the most rural one that we've had recently was in the Louisiana Bayou. <laughs> Most urban was in Beverly Hills yeah. the last six months, but I never thought about it too, because you know, it's, it's hard enough to get, uh, you know, all this stuff running for yourself, but to think about having to consider a local talent pool in one of those rural areas is something I'd, I'd never really considered. So as far as the situation, right. so, you know, it, it's kind of funny, the closest, uh, probably situation I had to doing this was not a couple of years back, we were, we were trying to hire for writers on Upwork and the legal experience was an important category, uh, obviously, otherwise, like, you know, they wouldn't be qualified to be doing the writing. But, you know, what's kind of the situation um, for, you know, the, the, the general, the general freelance uh, economy and like how people are, how are people finding paralegals right now, if not with a company like yours? So I think some people are utilizing Upwork and things of that nature, but they're the problem with firms going that route is Upwork and um, Freelancer and Fiverr and all those areas, it's kind of a one, one and done project that they can find somebody to fulfill for a, a cheap budget or whatever it may be. Um, otherwise, I think that they're finding it through networking. There's multiple freelance groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, job posting, indeed.com. I think just kind of organically finding these individuals. Um, but the thing with the Upwork and them finding them on Upwork is they're not finding that long-term relationship that, you know, finding a paralegal company that does this exclusively would provide. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, the goal really isn't ever to just have, you know, so you're some, some bases covered for a week or two. It really is hopefully to get somebody who's I'm guessing, you know, uh, freelance part-time and then eventually, you know, is that something you ever help people out with transition to full-time? Sure. So I talk about this a lot with my clients when we're first kind of trying to uncover what they are seeking in a freelance paralegal. I have actually, I was contacted by an attorney out in California that hired me for one project because he was an immigration attorney, but needed help in a criminal um, federal court matter that he didn't have the experience to really feel confident in handling on his own. 
and solo, solo attorney out there. And so that actually ended up developing into a longer, longer term commitment and relationship between us because he's now realizing, okay, my immigration client is now wanting to get a divorce and I have no family law experience. So I'm going to have to either refer him out or I can utilize my paralegal that has extensive family law experience to fulfill that and support me through it. So, you know, he's learning along with me. And so how small firms and solo practitioners utilize and benefit from freelance paralegals can either be short-term or long-term. And that's kind of the beauty in hiring a company that is going to be a relationship, an ongoing relationship, whether it is for short-term or long-term, because if it's short-term, you never know when it's going to pop up again that you need additional help. So whether you have extreme fluctuations in your caseload, this is the beauty of it. And it's the whole point of hiring a freelance company is that there is no commitment or need to fire somebody should your cases completely plummet for a month. Maybe it's, you know, for COVID-19 or whatever it may be that causes that that plummet in your caseload where, okay, I need to start laying off people because I can't afford to have them twiddle their thumbs in my office. Um, so with a freelance paralegal, even if you hire them long-term, you still have the ability to back off and start utilizing for short-term or on-demand. And I actually posted on LinkedIn, it was supposed to be kind of humorous, but it's the truth that imagine being able to go on Indeed.com and post for a job that says, need paralegal could be seven hours a week to 40 hours a week. We don't know until we tell you. Um, needs to be immediately available when we call you and we're going to pay you at an entry level paralegal rate, even though you have 15 years of experience. If you could put that on indeed.com, I know a lot of attorneys would say that would be my ideal employee, but that doesn't exist. I can't find a senior level paralegal with 15 years of experience that's willing to work on my demand and only on my demand and then sit and maybe not get paid for a month while I'm figuring out my caseloads or there's a, a lull in between trials or something that you can put them on the back burner and then pull them back when you're ready. So that's, that's where that short term and long term can just play together on the immediate need of the client, the attorney client. It, it, it's in their hands on how they want to utilize my company. Yeah, that's super interesting too, because I've never heard about like that application of hiring paralegals. It's almost like um, kind of a more entrepreneurial approach to like, I guess the idea uh, of counsel relationship or the referral. It's like, hey, look, if you want to put the bill for the work that's going into it, you know, why not, why not take that in-house? That's a, that's like, I've never heard about that before, but that's super interesting. And yeah. as, and like, I mean, this is something because we've actually hired, and I don't talk about this on the podcast a lot, but I run a 100% remote company as well. So we have a lot of people that are all over the country that, uh, that help us out with the stuff that we do. So I'm a believer, but to people who might be saying, okay, somebody senior for an entry level rate, you know, sounds too good to be true. What's kind of the situation that a lot of people that you hire, like, you know, why are they working part-time in a flexible role as opposed to going and getting a senior role somewhere around them? So to be completely transparent with the answer to that question is, so I have a team of paralegals that help me because I can't realistically take on multiple clients across the country all by myself and service every single hour that they're, they're needing from us. Um, I only have so many hours in a week myself. And then not only that, I also am utilizing paralegals with very specific experience. So 
I have a paralegal that has 14 years just in the oil company. So oil litigation. So she, if I have a client that needs help with that, I got somebody to back me up with that experience. So I always maintain that I'm the point of contact, but I have this team of paralegals that are, I've met and networked with over the years that I've crafted together to be able to support the demand that we, that my company sees. And the reason they're so willing to be on the side is honestly because a lot of them are stay-at-home moms that need extra hours, but they can't fulfill a 40-hour job, or they uh, maybe they were laid off by their company for and they were cut down to part-time hours, but they want to fulfill those extra hours. So that's why it sounds too good to be true, but it it's it's also filling a need for a lot of employees out there and job-seeking paralegals out there to be able to work in their field at a less demanding amount of time because I have multiple ones to help me fulfill. They're not demanded to show up to work from eight to five. So they get that flexibility. And then a lot of people just like to feel like their own boss and that they can work from home and not have to worry about the traffic commute and all, all of that. So remote work is just very enticing for a lot of people, I think. And, and that's a main reason why it sounds too good to be true, but it really sounds too good to be true on the paralegal side of things too, because they, they are filling a need that they have as well. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting too, because like, you know, you could pull 10 people off the street and say, look, if I could take, you know, cut, you know, $20,000 off your salary, but you never have to come into the office again, would you take it? And not <laughs> 10 of them would say yes, but enough of them would say yes, or there is a market for this. So it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty interesting to see how this stuff plays out. So kind of the next question on this, um, as far as kind of like the trends uh, that you might've been seeing I mean, like, obviously we've got a situation where, um, you know, there's some people that are scaling up, there's some people that are scaling down. I mean, I'd say it's pretty rare, but we have spoken to some firms that are actually having their, you know, their best couple months ever, you know, on some certain practice areas, but what kind of trends are you seeing in, in people, um, you know, moving towards, uh, something like this again, with all the changes that are going on right now? I think there's a huge movement towards it because one, there has been a lot of risk for companies laying off firing and all of the news that you're seeing out there saying about employee rights and getting laid off during a pandemic or what type of office securities you have to have in place with the, with the pandemic, even if your state is just starting to open or has been open for a month, you know, are you subjecting your employees to a big risk of contracting COVID-19? There's all these factors suddenly that they have to consider and not to mention they've been forced to be remote in a lot of areas for a big amount of time. And I am a part of a paralegal group on Facebook. It's a great paralegal group that I've met a lot of my paralegals in and that they, a lot of them have said, you know, my hours were cut to 30. And, and a lot of them are starting to ask, is this right? Can they do that? Is, do I have any rights to sue my employer? And so that conversation is definitely happening behind the scenes on the employee side that, Am I, are my rights being stepped on because of COVID-19? So that's where I think, you know, it's a big topic of conversation right now to kind of mitigate those risks of hiring an employee. Now, there's always a need for an employee in your office. There always can be a need, whether it's for answering phones or scanning in documents or the things that you can't do remotely. Um, but even that is being covered by document processing services or answer phone answering services there's so many technological ways to address office work at this point and it's i think it's just becoming a huge thing 
Yeah. And then kind of another thing to, to kind of add on to that, as far as this whole sort of revolution remote work, I mean, like, it seems like, you know, you have to, you know, you were at the, you were doing the remote work thing before it was cool, i.e. March of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but, um, you know, what kind of situations do you find yourselves in? Because I'd have to imagine that there's like a certain level of preparedness with the end client to getting used to having somebody they can't necessarily knock on their door at any time of the day. But also for the people that you might be potentially hiring on, you know, getting used to having uh, working with people, maybe in different time zones, maybe, you know, different levels of feedback. So how have you helped people get through that? So how I honestly, the way that I help people get through it is my clients, I am their contact. So I am their person. And I personally had this insane addiction. I was working in firm in the house, you know, in in the brick and mortar I had an addiction to my job and I was always accessible. I mean, I would work 90 hours a week. That's just how I was. And so now, you know, with my clients, I'm their point of contact at all times. So they feel that I am their paralegal, which I am. I just use support from paralegals that specialize and their 30 years of experience in civil litigation. I'm going to consult you on helping me with this motion or helping me with this discovery demand. So I'm always their point of contact. And I think that all of my clients would say that they feel that I am accessible at any time because of that. I mean, I've always had my phone in my hand. I, I am a 21st century person. So I yeah. always have my phone in my hand. I got my email, my text, my Facebook messenger, my LinkedIn messenger, my Twitter account. I have it all in my hand at every time. And I don't, I don't set boundaries like a lot of freelancers do. And a lot of stay at home people do where they shut their phone off at five o'clock or they're only accessible when it's in my time zone. I have one that is in California. They're three hours behind me. And being that he's three hours behind me, sometimes it's seven o'clock at my house, but <laughs> it's yeah. only, you know, whatever time. And I'm totally okay with him contacting me because I understand that. And that's my company. And that's my, my belief and value system with my clients is that they are going to have ex access to me when they need me. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, basically, and, and once you have the, the 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 lines are set as far as you know when people can contact and stuff. If somebody's kind of thinking about, you know, maybe this sounds attractive. Maybe they just had to get rid of an employee that was full time. Maybe their PVP loans didn't kick in. But <laughs> if you have right. a situation where somebody might be considering this, and like, how do you advise people? I mean, do you do you say, hey, look, you know, let's let's just jump in the pool with both feet, or, or is there like a way that you'd recommend somebody get started with this sort of an arrangement? Um, I would recommend having a really in-depth clarity conversation about expectations um, and what you need before just jumping in. I have had clients where we had no choice but to just jump in because the client wasn't 100% sure on how he wanted to utilize me yet. And so we've just been kind of, and I'm amendable to that. So he's just been utilizing me as it goes and it's just getting more and more and more as he's seeing the value in it. So but to get started with it, it's you got to find the right paralegal services company that is going to, first of all, understand that you have your practice and you don't need to change everything about it just to hire a freelancer. They have to adapt to you. So I don't have a platform that I say, this is what you need to use. You have to use box.com. That's the only way I will access your files. We work together on determining how it's going to best work for the client because I don't want my role to cause more work for them. I want it to be the opposite. I want it to be so seamless that all they have to do is allow me to help them and incorporate into their practice versus them having to adjust to me. So I think that's really important with freelancing 
and finding a freelancer is that you, you have to find somebody that's willing to do that and isn't so hard about how they execute your work. Um, the other thing is to watch the rates. Sometimes freelance, you'll see these freelance paralegals offering to do things for $15 an hour, but do they really have the experience to help mitigate your malpractice, mitigate, you know, really upsetting your clients? So watch those rates. I mean, it's, there are things that are too good to be true that are truly too good to be true. So if there's a paralegal that's offering to do huge federal work for $15 an hour, that's likely not going to be your person because you have to think on their back end. They're also a contractor. So they're paying the, the self-employment taxes and all that thing. They're not making anything from that. So it, that gets a little bit nerve wracking. Um, and then third, I think just trying to find testimonials, um, references, make sure that you can actually connect them to actual attorneys that have utilized their work. And they should be, if they're good, I know at this point I could have three of my clients give me a recommendation and they would have no problem doing so. So those three things I think are really important. Yeah. And kind of like going now, this is, this is kind of a funny story. So, um, you know, we've also done a lot of, uh, not really like a ton, but like every once in a while we have projects that we end up going to, the kind of the more upwork stuff, a lot of times will be development stuff. Um, but basically it becomes this kind of funny calculus because it's, if it's something that you don't necessarily know how long it's going to take, then uh, you're not really bargaining over the, the, you know, the, the rate per hour. It's just the arguing of how many hours is actually an hour <laughs> That situation right. where somebody might be, whatever, call it $15 an hour, but in, in their mind, they're going to you know, mark up the amount of time it takes by four or five times. And all of a sudden, okay, their effective rate actually was $60 an hour. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. To say. Yep. It's very flexible. Um, but yep. yeah, and like as far as kind of on the on the cost savings as well, like you know, what kind of uh, cost savings would somebody expect versus I guess we you know the situation of either having somebody as as a full time employee or, or anything else that's comparable. Okay, so this is my favorite part of like my entire company is the cost savings, and not only the savings but the earning potential from hiring my company. Okay, so I've worked really hard at narrowing down the national average salary for a senior freelance or a senior paralegal, a entry level and a mid level. And what does that national average look like in a small law firm? I focus on the small law firm component because I'm not going to throw at, I'm not going to compare myself to what a corporate big, huge company can pay a senior level paralegal because that's the point. The small firms can't compete. So to bring in a senior level paralegal, seven plus years, and get them, not only bring them in, but get them to stay long-term and not go seek better opportunities is on average, they're going to cost about $62,250. i have narrowed that down a year just in salary. And so then you have to think that they're going to actually cost you 25 to 40% above their wages and their salary amount because a lot of people, especially new to business, forget about recruiting costs, onboarding, employee costs um, such as state and federal taxes, unemployment insurance, workers' compensation, office space, equipment, retention, um, and unproductive hours. All of those are going to add an extra 25 to 40% above the cost. So that paralegal that was only supposed to cost you 62000 a year is now costing you an upwards of eighty four. So when you compare that to a freelancer, and this is how I have made my rate sheets to make sure that I'm staying competitive, extremely competitive with going and hiring a W-2 because they are my competition in the sense of a W-2 is somebody that's on site, you know, eight hours a day. And it's that face-to-face. So they're my main competition. And to stay competitive with them, 
I had to lower my rates to stay below the total cost. So my full-time freelance, when I mix paralegal with legal assistant work, because I don't like to charge a paralegal rate for a legal like administrative project. I've never agreed <laughs> with that concept. I've worked agencies that do that. They, you know, I'm charging a paralegal rate for just spilling. That to me is not a paralegal task. That's an administrative secretary task. So I take the two and I've cut it down to a full-time freelancer at my company. If you're going to use her or him, 40 hours a week is only 57000 So you having an, at least over $20,000 per year of savings if you use a contractor because you're not you're not paying those twenty five to forty percent above wages and salary, um, and that's using it forty days a week. The main savings, in my opinion, comes from utilizing them for the, your biggest cases, for your more challenging paralegal work, for the things that you either the only other option in your office is for the attorney themselves to do. You need somebody, a senior level paralegal that can do the work just as well as you can and efficiently. So like you said earlier, somebody might charge $15 an hour, but it takes them eight hours to do well, it might paralegal only two and a half. So you're saving more that way, you know, as well. And they, I think the, um, the average of productive hours, somebody had I found this online that the average productive hours an employee works a day is only three hours per in an eight hour day. And that means you're paying that W2 employee for five hours of unproductive work, whether they're checking their phone, getting coffee, browsing social media, zoning out, talking to coworkers, you're paying for those five hours. Whereas on a, my, the way I run my company is we clock in, we do the task and we clock out. So you're not going to pay for us getting up and taking our lunch break or taking a coffee break. We're focused on that task at hand. And that's what comes with a senior level paralegal is that they're incredibly good at time management. And so there's multiple ways of savings, but then you also have to think that it's not a cost anymore. Hiring a senior freelance paralegal is no longer a expense. It's an investment because the work that we're doing can ethically be billable to your client. So the firms I have worked for in the past charge one, uh, on average like 125 an hour to their clients for my paralegal work. You're getting two times of what you're spending on me back. So if I'm charging $40 an hour, say for that specific task, and you're charging the client 125, you're making money at that point. So it's a return on an investment versus an expense. And then further, there is a issue with small firms and solo practitioners, and I know this from firsthand experience working in the firm, on how productive their day is as well and how many hours are they able to bill per, per, per day. Because I, the um, national jurist said that for lawyers working an eight-hour day, they only bill 2.3 hours of their time. And so when you look at the the missed opportunity on what lawyers can be billing to their client as well, doing client-specific tasks versus e-filing or delegating work or the things that they're just, that are pulling them away from their billable work, they're missing out on a 200 per hour rate, you know, or more, however they are charging. And that's, that's like over a thousand dollars a day. I mean, I know that you can't fill every hour with billable work as an attorney, but 
if you could, that's, that's a lot of money that you're missing out on. So hiring an experienced freelance paralegal with seven plus, and I have, my paralegals are 15 to 30. You are finding an area of not only saving you money, but making you money because we are efficient and we are very specialized in what we do. So I have a freelance paralegal that specifically works federal criminal law. And so if I need help on a federal criminal law case, he's going to be the most efficient person to go to because that's all he does. He's so focused on it. He knows how to read through district court rules. And I mean, the 300 pages of local rules for each individual district court in one state, you know, so he knows how to right away find the efficient information that is needed and get that work done in a time frame that saves a ton of money. Yeah. I'd also say this too. It's, it's kind of interesting because you mentioned the, okay, we have like, you know, the billable hours that could, could ramp up, but this is the other thing too. And, and this is kind of the flip side of a concept that I've discussed in the podcast a few times before, not one that I invented, but a good one. Um, it's the, uh, the whole, you know, superhero solo practitioner thing. So it's like a lot of times people will focus on, you know, e-filing that thing or, or, you know, making sure that they're, everything's prim and perfect rather than going out and doing the hard work of say, following up with somebody who ended up ghosting on a proposal or, you know, putting investment into, you know, marketing activity or recording a video for Facebook live or something like that. That's not necessarily going to directly translate into, you know, billable hours, but is much more likely to fill the billable hours um, in the future. So it's like, I think it's super important just to make sure if like, if you see something that's not moving the needle forward, okay, cool, there's a direct profit from, you know, maybe billing that out and then having it um, contracted out to a paralegal, but also just a huge intangible benefit to either. And it's, it's kind of scary sometimes too, because it's, you know, we've, we've had the point in our business too, when you know, you, you kind of have that new hire and then maybe you just unloaded 15 or 20 hours a week off of your time and you got an empty calendar and it's scary. Right. And it's like, you know, it's very easy yep. to, you know, just sit on your butt and, and like pretend that you're doing something important when you're really not, or just doing busy work. But you know, when you actually have the empty thing, it's like, you know, you're not going to, you know, uh, <laughs> fire up your phone yeah. and start playing Candy Crush. That's a lot more blatant than when it's staring you in the face. So it's a lot harder to hide from uh, the progress that you need to make when when you actually have these things handled. Um, so I wanted to ask. This is kind of a question that came up. So um, this is the, there's this really funny example, and I'm sure you read the book, The Four Hour Work Week, right? The the yes. Yeah. So I think, um, so for anyone who, yeah, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, it's just a big remote work sort of, um, lifestyle design kind of, um, kind of Bible. But, um, if you haven't heard from it, it would be pretty surprising if you had it by this point, but <laughs> good book if you haven't. <laughs> but, um, anyways, there's an example I thought that was really interesting. And it was actually one of the guys, I believe he was an editor at Esquire magazine. And he wrote an article on what you can do with outsourcing that, was actually written by his written and researched by his outsourced team, which is pretty interesting, but just right. kind of as, as an ex- exercise. But I wanted to ask, you know, specific to your practice, just for, for people just to kind of see what's out there. Are there any situations where you can think of a really complex case or something that was, you know, high flying or high billing that, that was able to get done because of somebody that you guys were able to provide for a firm? Yes. So recent, that's actually recently, and I'm going to be filing this motion after I get off the phone with you, is a, it's an attorney that does not practice criminal law. And I had gotten him admitted to the Eastern District of California just to file this motion because he is, I mean, he's never practiced in, in this 
court before, let alone filing a criminal motion. And because I wrote that motion, a 20 page or 18 page to stay within the, <laughs> the rule, but an 18 page motion without any supervision by him. And that was the key of it. He could hand it off. I could write it. And it was a motion. It's a motion for compassionate release due to COVID and and him to be able to, he had, he had his other attorney friends review it because he just, he didn't feel confident reviewing it himself with, with his experience. And they all said, go ahead, file it. So it's ready to be filed. And he didn't have to really do much work on it, if any. And so that brings me to one of my favorite quotes, which sounds a little bit conceited, but the quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's always stuck with me that you will never be rich until you can figure out how to make money while you sleep. And it's an interesting concept because you have to be able to always be generating revenue some way or the other. And like you said, whether it's through, you have to market to get more clients, to get more money. You have to, you know, bill hours that you can't fulfill yourself. So you have 40 hours a week to give your paralegal, your freelance paralegal has another 40 hours a week that 40 hours a week, they can do without you sacrificing your 40. So you could be sleeping and we are so experienced that we can create an 18 page motion and file it and have it granted in a district court without any supervision. So the, that is why I am not an agency and I will never operate like an agency is because you have to be able to trust your paralegal like you would a fifth year associate. You have to know that what they're doing is correct. Otherwise, what's the point if you have to review their work and change it all and put all those hours in? You're losing money that way. And that's where I, I separate myself from other companies is that we are all senior freelance paralegals. And to be honest, my, para, my, my paralegals that I have in my team could do better work than a first-year associate because they have so much experience that you're essentially hiring a second attorney without paying a second attorney. You know, you, you are hiring somebody that's doubling your work product and giving you, freeing you up the time to go out and find quality clients that's going to keep bringing money into your firm and you have somebody behind you supporting that work. So that's, that's where I feel you got to learn how to make money while you're kicking back and sleeping. Whether you decide to sleep, that's up to you, but <laughs> you should be able to. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Awesome. You know what? Um, I think that is a, I don't think we're going to hit a higher note than that. I think that really sums up the whole conversation really well. So, you know, if somebody's been thinking about this and, you know, this sounds like something they might want to try out, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Jacqueline? Best way to get in touch with me is just through, go check out my website, check through my services, what areas of practice that we have and what exactly we can do for you. Um, each individual practice area is going to be separate it out and you can see exactly what we can do on your behalf in your area of practice. And then go ahead and contact me and set up a first initial consultation so we can determine exactly what it is that will fit your firm and your specific way of practice and how we can best support you because you're, you're the driver and we're just the roadmap. So if you go to my website, jf paralegalservices.com. You'll see my contact information, my service information, and, and my about information. So that would be the best way to get in touch with me. 
Okay. Awesome. So yeah, if anyone is uh, thinking about that, absolutely go ahead and reach out to Jacqueline. But um, yeah, this has been a super awesome conversation. Like I hope, you know, a lot of the times people kind of think about, Hey, how can we, you know, shave a penny down a little bit slimmer? And that's not the point at all. It's like, you've, you've shown a lot of ways that this can be super additive to people's practice. And again, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we're not advocating that people set up like, you know, these ghost law firms where just, it's like, you know, if you're just hiring people on Upwork and it's, you know, not really high quality work, then, you, you know, that's not necessarily ethical or a good idea from a business perspective either. But, you know, when you have qualified people, it really does multiply the amount of effort that you can put into the stuff that's your zone of genius. And I think this has been a fantastic example of some ways that people have done it. So um, thanks again, Jacqueline. I super appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, Jan. I appreciate being on your show. Thank you so much. All right. And for everybody else, we will be back next week with another episode of Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.